Greetings and welcome to White Run Baptist Church Online. Uh, we've got another great uh, Christmas sermon for you today. It is an opportunity to explore why the virgin birth, why the virgin birth. And so we have this uh, great opportunity to come together and in a time of celebration, a time of year in which we focus on the first advent of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have to ask this question because it seems uh, quite the interesting thing that an angel comes to a, a woman betrothed to a man, but they have not yet consummated their marriage. She is a virgin, and he says, you're going to have a baby. And uh, the question is, why did God do it that way? Was it uh, just a matter of a sign? But, but, you know, it wouldn't be a very good sign because it would be so easily disputed that it would just take two people, Mary and Joseph, to dream up the whole thing and claim that this was a virgin birth uh, from God. And so indeed, why then was it done this way? Well, we're going to find out it wasn't just for the purpose of presenting a sign. It was had a greater and very real purpose to it, one that's very relevant to us even to this day. Well, I want to begin by introducing you to our passage. It's in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And what we're going to do is uh, we're very simply going to just use our basic investigative questions on the passage. Sometimes it's the easiest just to stand by and, and take a look at things from the, the perspective of um, just as we try to understand this passage, Let's ask who, what, when, where, why, and how. And we're going to find these questions be very helpful in this passage in Luke chapter 1, when the angel visits Mary. Well, let's go then to the scriptures and let's read this together. It says, in the sixth month, and that would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, why don't we begin then with a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you this day for accomplishing this mighty deed, this deed that has resulted in the salvation of many millions who will enjoy you 
and your presence forever. Lord, let us uh, be humbled by the text, lay aside our preconceived notions, and explore what you have for us here. Guide us into the truth by your Spirit. Let yourself be known to us, and make your work complete in us this day. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we have a profound and familiar scene. If we're familiar at all with the Christmas story, if we spent any time whatsoever in church during the Christmas season, we would have heard these passages and, and we would be kind of in wonder about them and kind of amazed by them. And indeed we are. And we often take the personal approach and we look at what must this have been like from Mary's perspective or or Joseph's perspective and, and what did all this mean? Or what about those looking on and the neighbors and relatives of, of Mary and Elizabeth and the others? What might they have been thinking? And so there's a great deal here to explore but today, all we want to do is simply use our, our interrogative words uh, in the English language, which are the basic who, what, when, where, why, and how. And I've got them, number one, out of order. And number two, you'll notice that how is misspelled because it really bothers me. Maybe it really bothers you that we have this one interrogative word that does not start with W. But nevertheless, who, what, when, where, how and why. And I've put why last because we're going to spend a great majority of our time there because there is where we will find great, great things. Well, if we uh, go back to the text, then we're going to look at, first of all, who, who has come here. Uh, who has come here, of course, is the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel is uh, shows up a couple times in scripture and uh, he is known in the book of Daniel. And he appears to be an angel specifically for the purpose of getting messages to and caring for the people of Israel. And so he brings this message not only to Mary, but he had brought it earlier in the chapter, a message to Zechariah that he and his wife would have a son. That, of course, would be John the Baptist. And so Gabriel comes. That's who. And who else is involved here? Of course, Mary. And it describes her as a virgin, and she is betrothed to a man of the house of David. Now, this is profoundly important because I want to direct your attention to a prophecy that was given, I believe, the very day that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God confronts Adam and Eve and the serpent about what happened there in the garden when they ate of the fruit, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what he says to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now there's a detail here that we need to be aware of. And the detail is this. In the Hebrew language, this word that's used here for offspring is also the word used for seed. And when the Hebrew language refers to the reproduction between a man and a woman to conceive a child, it is the contribution of the man that is called the seed. And yet, here God says, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and Satan biologically that doesn't make sense because it's the man who contributes the seed in conception but here 
he takes a break. And people would look at this and interpret the Bible. And, and if they didn't understand the things we're going to study here today, they would say, this must be an error. This must be something wrong. But praise God that he sent faithful people to copy word for word the scriptures. And despite this appearing to be an error, later when Jesus comes, we find out this is not at all an error. This is a prophecy of one who would come that would be born of a woman, but not of men. And so here we have, way back here in Genesis chapter 3, a prediction of the virgin birth. And this is fascinating because when Jesus comes along and we proclaim Jesus, Jesus was born of a virgin and everything else, you know, many secular or unbelieving scholars will come along and they'll say, oh, you know, the virgin birth thing. That's been around for centuries. Other people have talked about this and, and other religions have this and Christianity just adopted it into Christianity. And now we can say very confidently to them, yes, many other religions have the idea of a virgin birth contained in them. It's even in the Zodiac in some, in some cultures. But they didn't come up with that idea on their own. They got the idea from Christianity. They got the idea from the one true God who gave this prophecy to Adam and Eve, which was, as you can see, it's formatted as a song, as a poem, and it was handed down. And then when they got off the ark, Noah knew this, and Noah's families knew this, and his descendants knew this. And when they were separated at the Tower of Babel, separated by their languages, they all were carrying with them this idea that there would come one born only of a woman. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. So yes, other languages have this account, but we had it first, thousands of years before anyone else did. Here it is in Genesis 3.15, some 6,000 years ago. So Mary is here. She is a virgin betrothed to a man of the house of David. And this is a sign. And this is interpreted in the Gospels. They say, hey, look, there's, there's a, a prophecy of this. And it's on Isaiah chapter 7. It says uh, he is trying to tell something to King Ahaz. God is giving King Ahaz prophecies through the prophet Isaiah. And he tells Ahaz, look, pick any kind of sign and I'll do it so that you can know that what I've said is true. And Ahaz, trying to be pious, I guess, says, no, 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 I won't put the Lord to the test. And it is true, you shouldn't put the Lord to the test unless he tells you to put him to the test. He was told to put him to the test and he didn't. But here's what God says. He says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Okay, and here's the sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That name means God with us. The New Testament writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, grab hold of this verse and they say, look, this was predicted that a virgin would conceive and he would be called God with us because that's exactly what Jesus is. And for all you people who think Jesus was not claiming to be God or was not actually God, read again because they attribute this prophecy to him as God with us.
So Mary is involved, Gabriel's involved, and of course the baby Jesus is involved, God with us, Emmanuel. And then Joseph is involved. He was a man of the house of David. And I would direct you to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where David was given a prophecy, given a promise by God. It was a covenant within the covenant that he gave to David to say, one of yours is going to sit upon my throne forever. I would direct you also to Psalm 110, which is a psalm of David, and it is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, David writes, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Well, this is to be a descendant of David. Why would David call him Lord? And this becomes a discussion, and Jesus challenges the leaders of Israel with this very verse because he was a descendant of David, and he was the promised descendant that would sit upon the throne forever. He says, uh, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. That's a symbol of ruling. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. In this time of Jesus Christ, the believers in Jesus Christ offer themselves freely to him, as this says, in holy garments. And no, that doesn't mean we dress nice, although it's not a bad idea. No, this means we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, as is explained in the New Testament. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Those are our holy garments. And indeed, we present ourselves freely. Then verse 4 is used to speak of Jesus having a superior priesthood as well as kingship. See, kingship is here in Psalm 110. The priesthood is here, and we know that Jesus is that great prophet, priest, and king. When we consider who, let us remember the importance of Mary, the importance of Joseph, the importance of Gabriel, the importance of course, and primarily of Jesus Christ. But let us remember also that Mary and Joseph, these were regular people. Their lives were affected by these things. God is accomplishing his plans through his people as always, as he always has. Many other times, this fact and the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary have been my emphasis as I've preached these passages. The fact that God is using regular folk in his great plans that he's moving forward. And so there's many valuable lessons to be found just from the word who. Who else is involved here? Well, the Holy Spirit's involved here. He is the agent of conception because Mary asked the very logical question, how's this going to be? I've never known a man. In other words, I've you know not had that opportunity to become pregnant. Um, I'm going to talk about this more under wow, but the answer in short is that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. In other words, this will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so this is what it's all about. That, that you know, the who that's involved here, Gabriel comes to uh, Mary, who's engaged to Joseph, and he's in this line of David, and all these things are relevant. But then, most importantly, Jesus Christ, who is the child that's going to be conceived. His name means Jehovah is salvation. He is a king in the line of David. He is the son of the Most High, he is described. He says, or he is described as being holy, and he's being described as the son 
of God. This is what it's all about. Jesus, the word of God, the light, the son of Abraham, the true vine, this great Jesus that has come. So that covers the who. Now let's cover the what. What's going to happen here? Well, it says in verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Gabriel brings this announcement that very simply, you're going to have a son. <laughs> and the promised Christ would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the what is going to happen. When is this going to happen? Well, when he comes, it is the sixth month. And that is relative to Elizabeth's pregnancy. Verse 36, Gabriel shows this. He says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So at this time, Mary, in the very next passage, goes to see Elizabeth right away and spends about three months with her. So it's likely that Mary was there even at the birth of John the Baptist. Then she goes back, now probably slightly visibly pregnant, and, and deals with Joseph and, and her family and everything else there. But that is the what of it. You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. And this all happens during Elizabeth's pregnancy. Where does this happen? Well, it says in the very beginning of the passage, um, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, it's interesting that there, there is a prophecy that suggests that he would be from Nazareth. But we know he was born in Bethlehem. And God has timed this and, and worked this out so that they will have to go to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born. To be born there in the where the area of David was, where David lived and everything else, in order to fulfill that prophecy. And this is a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And in Isaiah, in, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, there's another great prophecy we often draw our attention to about uh, Jesus being born. And, you know, the people who walk in darkness, we'll talk about that. But this is where we normally focus. We say, to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. That's Isaiah 9, 6. And we talk about that at Christmas time, especially because of the description of Jesus given here. But let us back up a little bit. Let us back up to the beginning of the chapter when it says this, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt, that is, God brought into contempt, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. Well, those are near the Sea of Galilee. Those are in the area of Nazareth. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of dark, deep darkness, on them has light shone. And indeed, Galilee itself is involved in these prophecies, and that's why the where here is important. Well, let's talk about how. Uh, the Holy Spirit says the way this is going to happen is the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this is something that is, is just profoundly important. Um, look at what it says in Zechariah, and here's a principle that we can learn from Scripture about the way God does things. Um, he said to me, and, and this is um, the prophet 
Haggai speaking to Zerubbabel, or Zechariah speaking to Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Well, it's an interesting prophecy because Zerubbabel built the temple. And when we come to the New Testament, we find illustrations of the temple. What did the temple represent? Well, the temple represented where God would dwell with man. And there are two different ways in which the temple are applied to the people of God. That the temple foreshadowed uh, or went before the the reality, the truth that comes in the gospel. And it's this, that the people of God are being built into a house as a dwelling place for the spirit of God. And this is profound because it speaks of the church. And then Paul also says elsewhere that indeed we are, each and every one of us, a holy temple for the Lord. In other words, we're a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit and that the, the uh, believers as a whole are dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. God said to Zerubbabel, how are you going to complete that temple? And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Jesus elsewhere is called the capstone. He is called the cornerstone of this church. He is also called the capstone of it. And when Jesus teaches his disciples about faith, he refers to moving a mountain, doesn't he? Well, this is profound, and it's just all woven through here in these great prophecies. Here's Zerubbabel, an ancestor of Jesus, being told that by the power of the Spirit, he's going to bring forth the top stone, representing Jesus, amid shouts of grace, grace to it. And how's he going to do it? By the power of his Spirit. By the power of his Spirit, he brings forth the capstone, Jesus Christ to complete his building, the church. And he does it by the power of his spirit. That's how. Now let's look at why. Why was a virgin birth necessary? Of necessity to bring Christ into the world as a human, but not as a descendant of Adam. Let me say that again. In this way, the virgin birth brought Jesus Christ into the world as a human, but not as a descendant to Adam. You'll notice in the Bible that inheritance takes place through the men. That the inheritance takes place through the men. The men are assigned the role of the head of household, of the head of the house. Now, God is not insensitive to the need for women to be considered in all things. Indeed, they're to be honored in all things. And he built into the Israelite laws ways in which that if the, the man was not present, there would be ways in which the woman could pass the inheritance just for a practical matter. But God established the order of our world in this way, the man who was made first and then the woman who was made second. And when you read carefully the account in the book of Genesis, here's what you're going to notice. Adam was made. He was placed into the garden. He was told what he was to do and not to do. He was given the law to not 
eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was told this before Eve was made. Then God looked upon everything and said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. And he makes woman from the rib of the man and places her there. Now, who eats first of the tree? Well, the woman does, right? But whose fault does it end up being? It ends up being pinned on Adam. It was his responsibility. He was given the law, and therefore he was the one that was supposed to have seen that the law was followed. And then what follows in the Bible is this headship of men, that men have been assigned the role of priests, that men were assigned the roles of king, because ultimately it would be a manly priest and king and prophet that would come in Jesus Christ and accomplish all things. Jesus could not have a human father or else he would inherit the guilt and condemnation of the sin of Adam like every human being has. Therefore, Jesus could not have been a perfect sacrifice. Jesus was in essence a new Adam, a do-over, and our invitation is to join his line through faith. Let me show you where the Bible perfectly understand or perfectly explains this and makes it clear it's in Romans chapter 5 and I want you to see here therefore just as sin came into the world through one man see how this is pinned on Adam there's no mention of Eve here and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Sorry, I'm just trying to do something here. Um, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 18 here. Therefore, as one trespass, and this is speaking of the sin of Adam, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that is the life of Jesus Christ, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So this is powerfully important and helpful here in the book of Romans to show us that we inherit guilt and condemnation from Adam. And that inheritance is passed through men. So the sin came into the world because of one man. And look at the emphasis all the way through of the one man. Death reigned through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
Many died through the one man's trespass. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. And because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So now go to your Bible and highlight the word one in this passage. One trespass led to condemnation for all men by the one man's disobedience. The many were made sinners. Now this is all accounted in the notes for your help and edification. We inherit the sin and guilt of Adam because Adam was our, what we call a federal representative in the creation covenant. This same argument is used in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 to indicate that in Abraham, the future Israelite priest had effectively tithed to Melchizedek, and therefore that Melchizedek's priesthood was a higher form of priesthood. You can go to Hebrews 7 and see that argument. And the argument here is that because we are descended from Adam, we inherit and we send with him in the garden but we inherit it through the men. The promise of the gospel is that we can be adopted into this new Adam, that is, by faith into Jesus Christ, so that we can inherit that which belongs only to the Son of God, rather than inheriting what we receive from Adam. Look where it says this in John's, what we would call birth narrative, in John chapter 1, it says this, it says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The coming of Jesus allows us to be born again into a new line, to become then children of God. The virgin birth, as it was predicted from the beginning in Genesis 3.15, and we understand what seed refers to there, the man's contribution. This is why we have virgin births accounted in other religions. But this is why the virgin birth became necessary for the coming of Jesus Christ. Most get these things backwards. <laughs> so look at the impossible situation then of man. We're born into sin, as it says, as David says in Psalm 51, 5, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And some would say that's not fair that we inherit the guilt and condemnation for Adam. But understand this, you might complain that it's not fair that you inherited this sin from Adam, yet the very moment you sinned, you show that God is right by our condemnation. And based on Romans 5, if you want the righteousness of Christ, if you want to inherit eternal life, it comes with Christ as our new federal head, just like Adam was our old federal head. You cannot reject Adam's headship over you without also rejecting Christ over you in the new covenant. You have to accept them both. You accept Adam's headship over you in your need for redemption and in order to be saved you must accept Jesus Christ's headship over you in the new covenant. Here is God bringing us what we need. This great miracle and as it's said there to by the angel nothing is impossible with God. Anybody seeking another path to God let me ask you this. How do you deal with the fact 
that you are dead in Adam. Let me say that again. If you're seeking some other way to God, if you think that you can just be good enough, or you think that if you just meditate enough, you think that if you just learn enough, that you can somehow be acceptable to God, how are you dealing with this fact that you are born of sinners? Now, never mind your own sin, but haven't you noticed that God told Adam in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And haven't you noticed by observation in the world that the death rate of the human condition is 100%? And this is why we celebrate at Christmas. Because at Christmas we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Look at this says, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and a free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, trespass death reigned through that man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I highlighted the word gift here. It's also translated as grace, you see, in a couple places. And these, are the same, these have the same root, the idea of grace, the idea of a gift. Why do we give gifts at Christmas? Because God gave the ultimate gift at Christmas, the ultimate eternal do-over in a new Adam, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you can exchange your family inheritance from Adam for a family inheritance with Jesus Christ. Won't you do that today? Receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And it is just that. It is a gift. It cannot be earned. This is not something that you will ever qualify for. This is something that must be received through faith in Jesus Christ. So receive this free gift today. Break away from the death and the sin in Adam. And you'll have to lay aside sin. You'll have to repent of sin because you cannot keep some of the things of the old way of life and grab onto some of the things of the new way of life. This transition is a whole change from the inside out. And that is the key. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit of God is put within us. And then we have the power of God within us to defeat sin. The power of God within us to live the life that he intended for us to live. And I don't mean to paint it like it's not going to be a struggle. It is going to be a struggle. All I'm saying is that it is worth any struggle. This is the free gift of God available in Jesus Christ. So my first encouragement to you is to make sure that you have received the free gift of God of eternal life in Jesus Christ. My second encouragement is this. Explain to others why we give gifts at Christmas. Go straight to Romans chapter 5 verses 15 through 17 and say, look what we get from Adam. And if you don't believe Genesis chapter 3, just open your eyes 
and look around the world, we're all dying. Why is that? Why is that? It's because we're inheriting a death sentence from our forerunner, our federal head, our father, Adam. But the gift of God at Christmas is Jesus Christ and the availability of eternal life with him. So explain that to others. Why do we give gifts at Christmas? And use these verses in Romans to help you. And then understand that what has been accomplished by the power and the will of God is not undone by mankind. What has been accomplished by the power and will of God is not undone by mankind. This is a work that he has done. He knows what he's doing. And he will bring it to full completion. And yes, I know the gift is eternal life and everything. And Christians go on and they grow old and they pass away. But the New Testament doesn't refer to believers as being dead. They're present with the Lord. And they will return to reign with him in a resurrection body. And there'll be no more tears. And there'll be no more death. And there'll be no more pain. So consider these things today. Meditate upon these things. And how an angel came to a, a seemingly very out-of-the-way place to a, a, a very common young lady and says, something awesome's going to happen. You're going to conceive and bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. The Lord is salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we praise your name this day and we thank you for this indescribable gift in Jesus Christ. Lord, this day we pray that we may in, in just embrace this, that we may understand it more than we ever have. And Lord, that we may, by your great grace, make this known to others. Please use us in this way to proclaim the truth of the coming of Jesus Christ to others, that indeed, Lord, they may know you, and they may have this eternal life and the inheritance of Christ rather than the inheritance of Adam. Oh, Lord, you're so good, and you're so precious. We pray, Lord, you'll grant us understanding of these things this day. Receive our worship and our adoration this day. We praise you for Christmas. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for your faithful servants, Mary and Joseph and, and others who have brought this forth. And we praise you for your faithful servants to this very day that take this message to others. Because you have seen fit to save a great multitude from every nation to your great glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And I invite you to contact us with any kind of questions you might have. If you want to know more, you want to take the next step in your faith, please contact us and we'll help connect you with a faithful Bible-believing church near you. It's important you be involved with the people of God on a local level, and we will help you do so. Uh, if you will but contact us, you can contact us at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. And I will answer those personally. 
And I'll also answer questions and I'll also answer complaints in a very respectful way. We can argue about these things in a wonderful way and, and just build each other up and, and, and bring each other uh, to understanding. And so please contact us for any reason whatsoever. And may your Christmas season be blessed this year and all year. Bless you richly with all that he has done.